This is the PR Podcast, a show about how public relations helps you tell your story to the world. We talk with great PR practitioners who have the skills, creativity, and just plain savvy to get their clients noticed. Now here's your host, Jody Fisher. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the PR Podcast. I'm Jody Fisher. Thanks for joining us. This week's PR Podcast plug goes out to Michelle Glogovac and her My Simplified Life podcast. Now, I work with Michelle, so I'm a little biased. I think she's terrific. She manages podcast pitching uh, with me for some of my clients. She's a terrific professional, really good at what she does. But she also hosts her own podcast where she talks with interesting people from all walks of life about what inspires them, what they do, how they live their lives. It's a positive and uplifting listen every week. So check that out on your favorite podcast platform. That's Michelle Glogovac and my Simplified Life podcast. If you want a PR podcast plug, please send us a DM on Twitter at the PR podcast, and we will plug your passion project in an upcoming episode. Now on to our guest this week. Let's get right into it. Julie Parker is a PR consultant, crisis communications advisor, and a media relations and social media trainer. She's a Murrow and an Emmy award-winning former reporter for the ABC TV affiliate in Washington, D.C., and she's the former police media director in Prince George's County, Maryland, and in the Fairfax County Police with the Fairfax County Police in Virginia. She was also a senior media advisor with the International Association of Chiefs of Police and a guest lecturer at the FBI National Academy for the last decade. I'm wondering if we're being wiretapped. I'm just joking, though. <laughs> Julie, welcome to the PR podcast. Thank you. You are safe. Don't worry. All right. Good. <laughs> We can no we can proceed. We've had a, you know, we've had a few crisis communicators on the show, and you wanted to come on and talk about crisis communication. In your estimation, what makes a true crisis? The answer is twofold. Generally speaking, the the easier one, the more obvious definition of crisis is a critical incident. Anything such as an act of mass violence, a catastrophic nat natural disaster, a pandemic. Those are the more obvious kinds of crises that, that anyone really could recognize. What is, in some cases, more challenging to manage is when there is significant damage to a person's reputation or a brand's reputation. That's another type of crisis. Okay. Now, with your background in law enforcement uh, and being the subject matter expert that you are, uh, you've had to deal with lots of crises. Uh, related to law enforcement. Tell us about some of the crises that you had to deal with. I mean, these are sort of life and death crises, right? They are. And the one that immediately comes to mind and is giving me chills just from thinking about it still from March 13th, 2016, when I was working at the Prince George's County Police in um, Prince George's County, Maryland, we had an active shooter outside our headquarters that resulted in the friendly fire death of one of our undercover narcotics officers. And it was a, a devastating event on multiple levels. I've done presentations around the country on this. And I think it's an important one to raise because if your foundation isn't properly in place prior to the crisis occurring, it will be incredibly difficult to manage that crisis. That horrible event occurred almost five years into my time with that department. 
And because we had worked so hard to change the perception about that police department, to work really closely with the media, to nurture our social media platforms and to build them and to grow and to, and to, to build those followings, that helped what, what was otherwise a, a horrific event. And because that foundation was in place, we were able to successfully message about this crisis. And I can't, I can't emphasize enough the importance of, and I do this whenever I present to, to any organization, not just law enforcement, that you don't discount those day-to-day opportunities with the media or opportunities to work on your social media platforms. It's that, that routine stuff that really will matter when the crisis hits. And if we hadn't fostered those relationships with the media, and then suddenly it's not just a, a local media crisis, it's, it's a, that was a national crisis. And I can't really recall at this moment if it was international, but certainly we had ABC network reporting on this within 90 minutes of our first tweet. And without having previously established relationships, it would just make it that much harder for the communications piece. And when the communications piece of a crisis goes wrong, you're now adding a new and very difficult layer to the crisis you're already trying to manage. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up about relationships because I think um, all PR people know that it's, it's the regular care and feeding of those relationships that will help you um, when something goes uh, wrong or when something really needs to go right. Um, and you can call on those relationships because you are trusted, because you have a track record uh, of being uh, truthful, honest, and fair, uh, and forthcoming. Um, you, you also talked about foundation, and, and what sprung to mind, too, was sort of the, um, the management tree, right, or the, 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 the crisis team that you put together. Um, we've had other crisis communicators on talking about the importance of that. How do you do that within law enforcement, within those, those life and death kind of a situations? There's got to, I imagine there's got to be some kind of hierarchy. There, there sure is. You know, it's a, it's a quasi military type organization with, with a chain of command. Very early on, we established what that communication would look like in a crisis. And depending on where you go around the country, there are 18,000 law enforcement agencies in this country. That means there could be 18,000 different ways to that they decide to communicate amongst themselves. That's a great what, point. <laughs> what, what we did was have me at the, at the side of the chief. I reported directly to the chief. And what that meant was there was, there was nothing between us. There were no layers of approval between us, meaning an assistant chief, a deputy chief, a captain here, a major there. I had direct access to the chief and that was and is critically important to be able to move things quickly. In any place that you work, when you're trying to manage a breaking event, if the, if the internal communications process is such that you've got to go through multiple people to vet the information, to check to see if you're allowed to tweet something out, to do all the things that you need to do to communicate quickly. The more layers that are there, the slower it will be for you to get that messaging out. And the longer it takes for you to message, the less relevant you could become 
as that crisis begins to unfold. Yeah, that's a that's another great point that really PR and the communications, uh, the people who are in charge of the communications really need to sit right next to the, whether it's the CEO, the police chief, whoever it is making the decisions, not to say that there can't be other smart people in the room, exactly. but that conversation has to happen in real time. It can't go through those layers like you explained. What are some of the familiar steps that you take when a crisis first breaks, whether it is life and death or whether it's something that's just short of that, but it's a true crisis? What are some of the first things that you do? Vet information to determine what won't change so that we can release that information. We wanna get out there as quickly as possible to let everyone know we are aware of whatever the situation is and we're, we're working to get you more information as it's confirmed. The longer a brand takes to announce that they know this thing is unfolding, to me, the, the more it might appear that they are either a, in the dark, or B, potentially hiding something, depending on what the situation is that's unfolding. So vetting the information and ensuring that you get out there early is critical. That, that process has to take place throughout. That means you may be messaging on Twitter. You are starting to build that narrative one tweet at a time until you get to the point where you're probably briefing the media Eventually, you may be doing a news release down the road within this crisis, but that social media management has to take place throughout because, again, depending on what that crisis is, whether it's a hit to a brand's reputation or it's some sort of critical incident, people hopefully are turning to you as the source of the news. If, if you are not messaging and there are others messaging about your crisis, they may be right, they may not be right. Do you want them to be the source of the news or do you want it to be you? Even if potentially your brand is at fault for whatever this crisis is, you've got to talk about it. Yeah, that's the old, you know, don't let someone else tell your story, right? You make sure that you tell yours. And um, noteworthy to hear you call out utilizing social media, specifically Twitter, to get short, frequent statements out to drive your narrative to the point and to kind of manage the situation in a breaking news uh, environment, to manage that flow of information to the point where you are putting out a news release or briefing the media or do something that's a little more substantive, but you're using social media to kind of steer that narrative in the direction you want it to, to go. What's frustrating to see in some cases is when organizations think they're doing the right thing by sending out a media release. Here's a paragraph of what's going on only to the media. So that if I'm, you know, if I'm sitting in Dubuque and this thing is unfolding in Annapolis, Maryland, well, I don't, I don't work with the media in Annapolis, Maryland. I'm over here in Dubuque and I'm trying to find out for myself what's going on with your crisis. Too many times people still in 2022 rely upon the media to tell their story. And I'm saying this as a former member of the media. Brands have to be aware that they have the power to go direct to the news consumer. They don't have to rely upon the media who may do a great job sharing their story, 
or who may not do a great job at sharing their story. Yeah, absolutely. And, and great to point out there too, that even though you think you're sending out a news release or a statement or whatever, and you're shoving that through email, that there's typically only one or a very small handful of people on the receiving end of that email in any given newsroom. And so when you put it in that context, especially in the case of you know, life or death situations that you're dealing with, um, that's a very small group of people. And you are really transferring power over to that small group of people. And you want to be broadcasting, as you put it, straight to the end user. Um, so using social media, I think yeah, I agree with you, really, really effective in that regard. It's not just about the media anymore. They're, they're certainly obviously included in this. Uh, there are news conferences held for the media, but social media is just blasting out the news to everyone at once. That can also have um, sort of a public information kind of a flavor to it, right? I mean, in, in breaking situations, um, where there is public safety at issue, right? It's not just like something happened and it's done, but maybe something is evolving. You need to be, and in the world we live in, sadly, we see this you know, more frequently and more frequently. You mentioned active shooters and things like of that nature. Um, you need to be messaging to the end user, right? Yeah, you're, you're issuing, in many cases, a, a call to action, shelter in place, evacuate the area, stay locked down on this floor. I mean, you'll see law enforcement agencies giving specific kinds of information like that. You are speaking to potential crime victims and telling them what to do. And that kind of messaging, not to be dramatic, could potentially mean life or death. And to go back to our earlier part of the discussion about those layers of approval, this is why it matters so much. And that the person who's in charge of managing your social media accounts has the approval in advance, you push out what you think needs to go out. Because if they don't have that approval, if for whatever reason you don't trust them to do it on their own, you're just, you're adding time to the message and you may not have time to do that. In case of uh, messaging out on social media like that, and, and specifically when language is so important, um, and you called out a couple messages there like shelter in place or evacuate or what have you. Do you have, I'm going to use the phrase cheat sheet, of phrases that you use that are sort of pre-approved, like how you speak? I mean, every social media manager can speak a little bit differently, right? And exchange a couple different words. And sometimes in translation, despite the best intentions, it might come out just slightly different. Do you encourage social media managers to have sort of a pre-approved set of phrases or the way you talk about certain things? How do you manage that process? One of the tips I wanted to give you in this podcast was for, for anybody listening, if you don't have this in place already, one way to get ready for a crisis is to have pre-approved, pre-scripted messages ready to go for a crisis that is likely to happen for your organization or maybe even isn't likely. And, and sadly, we're in a place today in this country where everyone needs to prepare for an active shooter. That kind of messaging needs to be ready to go, whether you work for a police department, you work for a school, a hospital, an energy company, and you're, you know, you've got a headquarters to worry about. Everyone should, sadly, have this at the ready and the kinds of language that 
that makes sense for wherever it is you work. So if it's a police department, you're going to want to think about things like your SWAT team is responding. People are asked to stay inside their homes, avoid Main Street and First. Think about those kinds of things in, uh, in advance. You will have to adjust the language, tweak it naturally to fit this specific event that may unfold. But if you do this and you get it checked ahead of time, we even went to the lengths of having not just the chief of police, but to have our SWAT team commander review what our language looked like to make sure everything made sense from their perspective. Yeah, that makes total sense, right? I mean, it's, it's similar, um, although less life and death in making sure when you've got a legal situation that your legal counsel is reviewing the statements that That's you might right. be sending out, right? Because you don't want to, uh, and, in, and in my history, develop the phrase, you know, uh, win, win the PR battle and lose the legal war, right? That's you, such a great phrase. And thing. that makes every PR person uh, a little bit crazy because, you know, you're coming from the perspective of the, the public has to know this and legal is coming from the perspective of we have to protect this. And there's that natural clash sometimes between the two, as many conversations as you can have in advance with legal about these potential scenarios. And what we could say would be helpful to do during these blue skies times. Right. And, and because I think, you know, as a PR person, I think that it's our job to safeguard the reputation of the client, right? No matter who that client is, whoever you're working for. And part of safeguarding that reputation is making sure you don't get them into more trouble by, by trying to aggressively do your job in messaging. Um, and so, so it's refreshing to hear from you from a, from a legal perspective and from that true life and death crisis perspective of how that plays out. I had a great conversation with an attorney the other day as part of a, a bigger conversation with some law enforcement leaders. And I said, I am so glad to be having this conversation with you and hearing you thinking like a communicator. That's really refreshing when you can get the comms people and the legal people on the same sheet of music. It, it's, it's wonderful when that happens. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, Let's flip the script a little bit and talk about, um, let's step away from the life or death part, right? Thank you. Thank you. Let's do that. <laughs> and exhausting. let's just talk about crisis in general and sort of minimizing crisis. You know, how do you attack a crisis when it, when it comes up? Um, and how do you maybe manage the expectations on outcomes? Um, I'll, I'll preface it this way. You know, I find that um, a lot of times working with clients in, in real crises, not just imaginary crises, but real crises, they often want to jump to the end. They want to fix it. They want to do it right now. And as PR people, we know that there's a process to this. There are news cycles. There are uh, you know, sort of steps you need to go through. How do you work through expectation management with the, with the crisis with a client and minimizing that crisis to the best of your ability? You know, so much of what I do involves law enforcement. So, so much of it is, is really, um, we don't have the luxury of time because something horrible is unfolding. Um, I'm wondering if I can look at the pandemic as an example. I worked for a large county government of 1.1 million people. I got the call on March 10th, 2020. And the emergency manager who reached out said, we have something 
that's on the horizon that we think is going to be pretty serious. We're not totally sure what's going on here, but we think we're going to need some communications help on this. And I was like, okay. And then, and we all know how 2020, 2021, and a little bit of 2022 has, has played out as a result, but we had, we had to communicate to, to a population of 1.1 million in seven major languages about something that we were learning, you know, at the same time, almost as everyone else was learning it. And you layer in things like masks becoming this politicized thing or vaccines becoming politicized and, and adding in that additional challenge of communicating, you've got to think about almost every single word and how multiple audiences might receive that message. Sometimes that doesn't happen often enough. You think about, you know, we've got to tell everyone that we're all going to be wearing masks and you're so focused on perhaps the public health portion of the message that you might overlook how someone who is not as interested in perhaps the public health piece or, or feels that this is government overreach. And it becomes incredibly complex to figure out something as, you know, look at a Facebook post, something as basic as, as putting together a Facebook post can become incredibly challenging in one language. Now, now think about having the resources to, to say what you want to say in seven languages. And, and when certain words don't translate, I mean, it, it was anyone, you know, ask communicators across the country, public health and otherwise, who had to manage the pandemic. Um, and, and how do you tell leadership about how to manage expectations when in, in some points during that pandemic, you didn't even know something was going to become a challenge until suddenly the message goes out and then the protests begin or, or you name it. Have you ever had the experience of having to modify a message you've put out or even walk back something that you've put out because of an unanticipated result of, again, sort of your, be your best laid efforts, um, whether it's translation or otherwise? And, and how do you manage that? Yeah, I think social media, <laughs> uh, it's a blessing and a curse. And what it can do for you, though, is provide valuable intel. If you are listening on social media and digging, not just looking at where you're getting tagged in messages, but going to dig to see what people are saying about you when they haven't tagged you or men mentioned you, it provides a lot of intelligence for you. And it may show you what your blind spots were. Oh, we never even thought about this piece. And I have found that to be useful. You've got a course correct in some cases, depending on what the message was, but not paying attention to how the message is being perceived is problematic. And that includes in the, in the traditional media as well. Media monitoring matters because you'll see how your message lands. And if all you do is just push the message and go on to the next task and don't take the time to analyze how these messages are being perceived, then, then that's a lost opportunity. It's a missed opportunity. In addition to a, a traditional perhaps media monitoring service um, that we all might use, do you ever 
sort of sound out people in the community and say, hey, we, we put this out there. How did this land with you? Do you sort of, you know, take the pulse of the community in certain ways or are you moving too fast? I, I'm probably be probably moving too fast. The, the ability to dig that deep, to start digging into the community on any sort of large scale would be for something that isn't immediate. I, you know, a mass shooting, for example, there's no time for, for that kind of thing, I think outside of media monitoring and social media monitoring. But that brings me to a point that I do wanna make that as a communicator, if you find yourself in a crisis, you may be hardwired such that you think that only you can do it. And, and you've got, this is all on you and you've got to rely on, on just you to get through this crisis. Cause that's why I was hired. Don't do that to yourself. Half the time, the crisis is going to be so long in terms of days or weeks or months or in some cases, pandemic years, that you need to rely on your backups. Even if those backups don't work where you work, get creative and think, do I have someone on the county level who could help me? Do I have a friend who works in hospital PR across the country in Seattle who could take a look at these messages for me? Don't try to take it all on yourself because generally these kinds of things are so overwhelming in terms of time and in some cases, the emotional toll that you may be dealing with, even though you have to back burner it. Um, you know, there, there very often are multiple layers within a crisis. And I, I always encourage leadership, please don't forget your communicators in the mix. While they're, you know, the CEOs are burdened and, and um, multiple people throughout the organization may be managing this crisis, communicators don't do well at turning off. They are, they are hardwired to work, you know, 14 hours straight and then get on social before they go to bed. And the second they wake up, they're on social again. And, and they never really ever take downtime during the crisis. If there's not the time to do that, I implore leaders to remember your communicators who may not be speaking up, who may not be saying, I'm tired. I got to take a break. Make them go home. Go, I've had many a police chief who would say, we're going to be fine. You're leaving. Don't pick up your phone. I'll talk to you Tuesday or whatever the case may be. And that ultimately, I don't want to do it when, the, when, when that order comes down, but it's, it's, for, it's for your own good. Yeah, absolutely. That's, I, I find that, that newsroom DNA that you and I both have does not go away. It doesn't. <laughs> we're hardwired. Um, it, let's, it's a great place to end up our conversation, but one parting piece of advice that I thought maybe you could give to our listeners, um, you wanted to talk about three things you can do today to prepare for a crisis. And maybe they're not three, but, but give us some advice. You know, what can people walk away today to get ready for that next thing that is inevitably going to come at them? One of those is those pulling together those pre-approved pre-scripted messages Contact information, including personal cell phones for anyone who may be involved in a crisis, all the way up to your CEO, your police chief, your fire chief, uh, the head of hospital administration. Um, this sounds super basic. If you haven't been using your social media platforms for whatever reason, the city didn't allow you to do it for whatever reason, 
make sure you've got the username and password. That sounds about as basic as it gets. And I tell you, I tell you this over and over again, I'll wind up in a, in a crisis situation with a client and I say, got to get control of your social. Can I get the username and password? It's on a piece of paper. I think it was on a post-it note. I think that person had it. They don't work here anymore. There is this scramble to find that basic tool. You know, if you have a if you have a fleet of school buses and you don't have the keys to the school bus, not super helpful. Same thing with your social media platforms. So get those in advance and make sure there's redundancy. I don't just need to have it. I'd like another public information officer to have it. I'd like another spokesperson to have it. I'd like it to live over here in the assistant chief's office, whatever. Absolutely. Yeah, that could be a crisis in itself, right? That's right. <laughs> I can't get on Twitter. <laughs> I need the password. We laugh, but it's true. It is true. It's totally true. Oh, well, this has been a great conversation, Julie. Thank you so much. Let's go to, we're going to segue now into the rapid fire question portion of our podcast. No this is where we have a little fun. Uh, hopefully not a crisis for you, but this is where we steal a page from inside the actor studio, ask our guests a series of rapid fire questions. Like I said, just fun, meant to elicit a simple answer, maybe a laugh or two. With your indulgence, let's begin. Rapid fire question number one, what is your favorite news source? I don't know if this counts, but it's Twitter where I go to find multiple news sources. All right, very good. Well, you may, you, well you, that's fine. You may change your answer, though, because rapid fire question number two is, what is your favorite social media platform? LinkedIn. Oh, okay. Give us the reason why. The first reason that comes to mind is I met my first full-time employee ever, Christopher Menino, on LinkedIn. Fantastic. Rapid fire question number three, coming from a former journalist, coffee or alcohol? Coffee till cocktails. There you go. Oh, we're going to make t-shirts. <laughs> that sounds good. I like that. I have the t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Rapid fire question number four. Again, a great reporter question. What's your favorite on the run food? Protein shake. I know that's so lame. Oh, uh, that's not lame. Do you have a favorite that you go to? Strawberry. Nice. All right. And rapid fire question number five, what do you want to be after you finish this career? What do I want to be? I want to have my toes in the sand, whatever that is. That sounds great. I will meet you on the beach. <laughs> Julie, this has been a great conversation. Please let people know how they can find you online. I'm on Twitter at julieparker.com, C-O-M-M. I'm on LinkedIn under Julie Parker. I'm on Facebook under Julie Parker and Julie Parker Communications for both LinkedIn, Facebook, and my website is julieparkercommunications.com. I sense a theme. Wonderful. Thanks for the, the conversation today, Julie. And thank you everyone for listening. Please remember to subscribe to the show. Connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the PR podcast and send us a question or a comment. Our intro is by Christopher Apple. You can find him and his fantastic photography on Instagram at Christopher underscore A-P-P-O-L-D-T. Check him out there and hire him for all your photography needs. You can find me online at Jody Fisher on all the socials and on the web at jodyfisherpr.com. We'll see you next time on the PR Podcast. Yeah.